Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Hunter Eisenhower. So Hunter is the Associate Head Coach for Sport Performance at Arizona State University. Previously, he's worked at the Sacramento Kings. He specializes in improving sport performance through improving force in a variety of different ways. So who better today to discuss how you can use force to improve your sporting performance? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Hunter onto the show. So Hunter, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, pleasure is mine. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so I'm at Arizona State right now working with men's basketball and triathlon. Um, I've been here for about three months. Um, back in the college game, before this, I was with the Sacramento Kings as a uh, assistant sports performance coach and sports scientist. Um, and then I've worked in various colleges across the United States, um, UC Davis, Southeast Louisiana, Minnesota State, Mankato. Um, so I've kind of been all over the place. Hope to be at Arizona State for a long time. I really like it here. Um, I'm married and I have a, a daughter that's uh, about to turn a year old. Oh, wow. So you've got, a, you've got some pressure to, to set, set some roots down and uh, keep, the, keep them all in one place for school, right? Exactly. My wife, well, and me, we're like, all right, once we have a baby, we are done moving all over the country. So hopefully we can be in this area for quite a long time. Excellent, mate. Excellent. So can you explain to us very quickly, for those who aren't familiar with the college system, how that differs then from um, professional sports? Yeah, so, man, the biggest difference for me, especially going from like the NBA and the G League to back to college, is just realizing just how dense a professional schedule is. Um, There's just so many games, so many practices, so many shoot-arounds. Um, it really dominated the majority of my life last year. Um, and I think that with having a baby, I was like, okay, I need to figure out a little bit better schedule. And that's what college, I think, offers you. Don't get me wrong. Like, you're still working a lot of hours. You still travel. But just the density of things seems a little bit better. Instead of playing three to four games a week and you're traveling to different cities, you might play one or two. So it's just yeah. much more manageable. Um, and then in terms of training, I think you just get a little bit more access to the players consistently at the college level. Like you can have an hour long lift four days a week. That doesn't really happen at the NBA level. It's more like uh, getting guys before practice quick or after practice quick. So I think that the exposure you get to the guys um, is great and their training age is lower. So you're able to make some bigger, bigger uh, progress with them. Absolutely. Excellent, mate. So obviously we're, we're going to discuss force today. Um, and you've kind of systematized that a little bit and you can take us through the different levels potentially of force. But before we get all into that, can you take us through what force is and how it's measured? Yeah, so for me, force is mass times acceleration. And it's it's how much, not to use the, the word in the definition, but force you're putting into the ground. Um, and for me right now, it's using some Hawkins force plates. Um, I use Vald with the Kings, both are great, but I'm using Hawkins now. And, and uh, I just ran some self-experiments when I was with the Kings with different things. And this is what we'll get into with some of the, the system, but did some depth drops, did some what I call drop catches. And I began looking at like the force plates while I was on them and then comparing it to like a really heavy traditional trap bar deadlift. And I was just confused by the force readings I was getting because I was not seeing what I was expecting. And I think what a lot of sports performance coaches would expect to see. So it kind of began to change my mind of, of force application to athletes 
And especially for me with a game like basketball, now there's some physical contact with guys running into guys or posting up or boxing out. But a lot of the major forces they experience experience are them putting force into the ground, Um, their mass and the acceleration into the ground. Um, And that's what I think creates amazing plays, high performance, but also experiencing force at the wrong time in weird directions is also what can create injury. So I think that this system kind of touches both sides of performance and injury reduction. So what, why is it then important for athletes to, to master force? You kind of alluded to it there with injury prevention potentially, but like, why is it then important to, to be in control of force and to express it more effectively? Well, it's really the name of the game. Like when you see whoever, John Morant go up for a dunk, he is producing so much force into the ground to be able to do that. And if he wasn't able to produce that much force into the ground in the, in the small window of time that he does, he wouldn't be able to do what he does in the air, dunking on people, all those things. So I think that it's important for athletes to understand force and be able to apply force and, and as a practitioner, know the means that we're applying to the athlete because force is the name of the game. In a lot of sports, it's force into the ground. Now, if you're a offensive lineman or mixed martial, mixed martial artist, like you're applying force to another human being. Um, and that's a whole nother can of worms. But I think that in this discussion specifically for um, most field and core sport athletes, it's force into the ground. And I think that just focusing on traditional weight room movements, deadlift, bench press, back squat, you're not really exposing the athletes to as much force as you think you are. Okay. So you, I, I know you split this system up into three different layers, right? So can you take us through those layers and obviously then how that's going to relate back to what you just said with potentially they're not getting ex- exposed to the demands which are necessary? Yeah, so this system you're alluding to, the force system, is just something that I've been thinking about over the past year. Um, and it really, it really um, came about from reading the book Force by Dan Cleather. And it kind of had my mind going on some of the things that I talked about and doing some of the self-experiments I did. Um, and the, for, the first layer to this that I began thinking about was high force. So that's kind of like my, my first theme of this system, high force. And now, whenever I think about high force from a speed training perspective, because there's also the speed training, not just in the weight room, what movement out on a track or field or court produces the highest force. And if you look at the research from some of the great people in deceleration stuff, Damian Harper will talk about deceleration being the highest forces that an athlete is exposed to in comparison to acceleration and max velocity. So on these high force days, I really try to emphasize decelerations and try to put my athletes in a, a position to experience high um, levels of deceleration. And then when I get into the weight room, some of the some of these days may resemble traditional movements. So we might squat, we might deadlift, we might bench press. But I think that once an athlete gets to a certain level of strength, however you want to measure that, you can begin to expose them to higher force movements. And now that's what I alluded to earlier with a depth drop or a, a drop catch. Um, and I think that these different types of movements 
expose athletes to higher and higher forces. There's only so much force you can expose to an athlete with a trap bar deadlift. But if you have them hold a submaximal weight at the top, drop as fast as they can and slam on the brakes right before the weight hits the ground, now you're manipulating mass times acceleration and adding such more of an acceleration piece that you're ex exposing them to such higher forces. And the same in a depth drop. You have somebody drop off of a 42-inch box, and it might not look like much. Like the athlete might perform it, and you're not really seeing them strain or grind through the rep. But I can assure you the forces that you're applying to that athlete are much higher than traditional movements. Um, so, so that's really – go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go. No, so that's really what the high-force day looks like. Now, the next layer to that that I was thinking about is like, okay, almost what's the what's the opposite of high force? Now, it would probably be low force, but then I was thinking, okay, high force, some of the drop catches you begin to add speed, the, obviously the depth drops you begin to add speed, but for me, it would be fast force. So the next day or layer to this would be fast force. And that really is, when I think of fast force, the day that I think about is being elastic. So it's kind of like my elastic day. So we're going to sprint a lot. We're going to do acceleration. We're going to do some max velocity stuff. Um, we're going to do some speed complexes that um, Joel Smith talks about. And then when we get into the weight room, we're moving things fast within like that strength speed to speed zone. So this is no longer a high force day where we're really like either grinding out reps traditionally or doing drop catches and depth drops, but we're moving things as fast as we can. So it might be an Olympic variation that is done with lighter weight and extremely fast. This might be different types of jumps or plyos. Um, and then one key component of the fast force day is implementing oscillatory reps. So I think oscillatory reps are huge and it's just such a different stimulus that athletes usually don't get. Um, so we'll do can oscillatory. Can you take us through what they are? Yeah, so there's really two main types that I use. So I either call it a rapid oscillatory or kind of like a tension release oscillatory. So for me, a rapid oscillatory would be, let's use like a rear foot elevated split squat, for example. So if somebody's in a rear foot elevated split squat, they drop to the bottom of that position. Now they're going to move up and down in about a three inch range as fast as they can. Now the value in this is they're learning to turn off and turn on antagonists and agonist muscles as fast as they possibly can. There's a lot of really smart people that talk about what separates good athletes from great athletes is not the ability to turn on muscles, but the ability to turn off muscles and oscillatory reps help you learn to do that. Now that second one tension release is in that same example, rear foot elevated split squat. You may drop to just below bottom. You're trying to tense up every muscle in your entire body. And then you want to shut all your muscles off, drop slightly and pop back up to that position that you were just in. Now this, in the same way, is I'm tensing everything, all my muscles are turned on, and now I drop and everything turns off, and you're relying on some of those um, connective tissues to stretch and recoil and bounce you back to the position that you're in. So that's a really big component of the Fast Force Day I use. Um, now, next, the last two, if you want me to go into those, is that good? Yeah, yeah, please, please, yeah. Cool. So... The next two, the next layer to this or next day would be slow force. And now this was born, this day was born and this thinking was born based off of the population I work with. 
and knowing how much of a beating that tendons take for basketball players. Like I played basketball, obviously a lot of my close friends that I played with in college. Um, and then every athlete that I work with, like it is, if you're a basketball player, you're going to have a tendon hurt at some point. Like it's, it's just, you can't get around it. Playing on a hard court, the amount of jumps and, and, and change directions and decelerations that you have, a tendon will flare up. So the slow force day was really born as a way to kind of combat that and be therapeutic for the tendons and be opposite of what the athletes usually do. So high force days, they're dropping off boxes and drop catches and, and, and doing decelerations. On the fast force day, they're sprinting at max velocity, they're accelerating, they're doing very fast movements, they're doing plyometrics, they're trying to be more elastic. Now the slow force day kind of is the offsets all of that. So this day I'm really going to focus on, we'll probably do some traditional movements and it's going to be focused on tendon health. So we'll hit a lot of isometrics. We'll hit a lot of slow tempo movements. And then we'll also do some like local tissue prep. So a lot of those other days are just global movements. We'll do whatever, trap bar drop catches. We'll do hang snatches. We'll do um, different global movements. But on that slow force day, I really boil it down and look at specific tissues that are problem area for that specific athlete or for the population that I work with. So for a basketball player, we're going to hit something for their quad patellar tendon. We're going to hit something for their Achilles. We're going to hit something for their hamstrings. We're going to hit something for their adductors. And I begin to add some upper body things for like the shoulder complex. Um, so not only are we hitting global isometrics, which I think are really impactful for something like, for somebody like a basketball player and uh, feel in court sports, but now we're also looking at specific tissue that we can try to make more robust. Um, and I think that it can be really uh, impactful to offset some of the other stuff they're doing on the court and on other training days. Now the last, yeah. the last piece to this, the last day, um, human force. So this is a day um, that I like to do more often in like an early off season period, but it's going to be crawling, climbing, hanging, swinging, throwing, um, rolling some type of gymnastics. And I think this day really rounds out the whole program because I think it fills in the gaps of movement and performance and injury reduction that some of the more traditional high force, fast force and slow force movements don't do. Um, so this day is pretty fun for athletes because they get to do cartwheels and they'll roll around on mats and they'll hang from bars and they'll crawl around the weight room and, and we get creative with some games. But I think that that last piece, the human force day really rounds out the entire program. And I really just tried to hit the whole spectrum of performance with high, fast, slow and human. Awesome. So when, when you look at all of this together, right, how, how does that start to impact athletic performance? Because you've gone through lots of different, um, yeah, phases as such of, of the system, but how do you then bring this all together to, to make an athlete who, who performs better? Yeah. So it really depends on one, the athlete and two, the time of year. So for example, if we're like in an early off season phase, I don't necessarily need to be doing a bunch of like high force, maybe even fast force exercises. They just got done all season playing their sport, producing massive outputs. I'm looking at outputs in the off season, trying to ramp those up for the postseason play. So maybe early off season, we're going to do a lot of human and slow stuff. And we're going to hit some very general movement patterns 
and we're going to hit a lot of ISOs to try to get their tendons back to what they should be. Um, but then as we progress slower to the season, now you begin to trickle in some more of that high and uh, fast four stuff to begin to look at outputs and produce things. So once you get to the in season, if somebody's playing, for example, in, in college basketball, if somebody's playing 35 minutes a night, they're getting a lot of high force exposures. They're getting a lot of fast force exposures. You know what they might need throughout the in season more of is slow and human force. But now that red shirt or that low minute guy who's or girl who's not getting those exposures, maybe you hit them with a high force day or a fast force day throughout the season to begin to touch those qualities and produce higher outputs because they have more of like that adaptive reserve because they're not doing as much on the court or field. And then the second piece to this is looking at the individual. Um, and something that I, I feel very strongly about is, is individualizing athletes training. Um, I think that if you just give a blanket program to athletes over and over and over again, you could be missing the marks with some individuals because in the game of basketball and a lot of sports, the range of athlete that you work with is so vast. Like we have a seven footer on our team who's extremely athletic, extremely bouncy all the way down to a five foot eight, stronger, stockier guy. So it's like those guys might need a little bit different programming. Now to get back out of the system applies to those people. Somebody that's already really, really elastic and really, really springy, you might not need to overload them with fast force days. Like if I'm trying to make you more elastic and you're already extremely elastic, well, maybe I can work on some other things and some deficiencies that you might have. Maybe you don't produce a high level of force um, in traditional movements. So maybe I expose you to more high force days or maybe slow force days. Now, in the same way, somebody that's already very big and strong, but doesn't have very good pop off the ground and is not very elastic and doesn't run very well, maybe I'm dosing them with two fast force days during the week. Maybe they're trying to be elastic and sprinting more often to try to work on some of those deficiencies. So I think that you can look at it from a calendar perspective, but then also on the individual basis. And when we when we start to then zoom in a little bit and take one of those individuals, can you go? Can you take us through a, a day as to, to what one session might look like for them? So uh, things like uh, obviously exercise selection, you kind of touched on a little bit, but things like sets, reps, time potentially for for different um, different aspects. Can you take us through what uh, a session might look like then? Yeah, so we'll just do an example of a of a fast force day in in an off season period. So a fast force day is going to look like, I really like to use games in my warm-up. I've put together just like small little games that people can play, and I think it's a really good way to warm people up. So we might play med ball tennis, which is very similar to med ball volleyball, which everybody's familiar with, except it's a lower net, and you can let the ball bounce once. So we're playing med ball tennis. That's a really good warm-up. And then we'll go into a speed complex. Um, and let's say we're focusing on uh, more of like an acceleration day. Okay, so the speed complex I may use is something like a low squat, low squat hop. So they're in a, a low squatted position, their heels are off the ground, and they're doing pogos or what I call ankle pops. Okay, so now we're working on that lower leg, trying to build stiffness in that, in that calf complex. Important for acceleration. Then they'll go into a heavy chain sprint, but I'll have them line up and there'll be three guys hooked up to a chain and they'll race. We'll get some more intent out of that race. They'll sprint 15 yards. Then I'll have them walk down the track that we have to laser setup, And now they're going to run a flying 10 with a five-yard build. And now I get numbers on those guys. 
So they'll cycle through that three times. They'll hit their low, their low squat hops. They'll race to get some really high intent. And then I'll time them because they'll get some intent because they're racing against the, the lasers. After that, we'll go through that maybe three or four rounds. That warm-up and that speed session is probably going to take 25 to 30 minutes. Now, most people have already been lifting for, I don't know, they'll warm up and maybe run a couple sprints and then head into the weight room. But we're out there for 30 minutes sprinting because I think it's really important, especially on a fast force day. When we get in the weight room, now we'll go, we'll go something like an Olympic movement or a derivative of those. So maybe we'll go a hang snatch. So we'll go, uh, we'll go four sets of two to three on a hang snatch, and maybe I'll bring out some VBT so guys are competing with the speeds at which they move it, as long as they're proficient in the movement to be able to handle the increasing speeds and more of a focus on that. So we'll go hang snatch, and then we'll pair that with a rotational ankle pop. So now, again, we're still working on fast, elastic movements. Hips rotate, shoulders stay square. They're being as springy as they can off the ground. And they'll go three to four sets of 15 rotational ankle pops. Then we might move into more of an oscillatory movement, kind of like I referred to later. So we'll stick with that same example. It could be a rear foot elevated split squat. They move to the bottom of that position. And now they're oscillating as fast as they can up and down at about a three-second range. Now, because we've just sprinted, because we've just done a hang snatch and the jumps, and now we're doing an oscillatory movement, I don't necessarily always throw more plyos because I think that bucket's probably full for the day. So now maybe we'll hit a core movement. We'll hit a, a rollout. We'll hit a pal-off press just to build some more of that traditional training within. And then on fast force day, for those accessory movements, I really like to get guys moving in, in multiple planes. And that includes lunge lunge matrix hop matrix uh, maybe some landmine presses but out of a rotational position maybe some rotational med ball throws so the accessory movements on that fast force day are a little untraditional as well as i just want them to get moving in different planes in different positions because a lot of the other days high force slow force they're going to be doing more traditional movements just the prescription has changed slightly so that would round out a fast force day. And by that point, we've been going for about an hour, hour and five minutes. And we've hit a speed complex. We've hit fast movements early on. We've hit oscillatory movements. And then we've had the guys move in a bunch of different planes. And I think that's a really good day. Absolutely excellent, mate. That was uh, super interesting. So where can people find out a little bit more about you and what you've been up to? Uh, the I'd say the best place to find me would be um, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at hunter eyes underscore sp um you can follow me on twitter all i put on twitter is like retweet about the kansas city chiefs because that's my favorite football team uh you'll see some arizona state retweeted arizona stuff state stuff retweeted but i don't post too much on on twitter but if you like the chiefs please follow me um <laughs> and then i actually have a podcast myself um it's called uh move the needle the Human Performance Podcast, that it can be found on Apple or Spotify or whatever you use. Uh, me and my host, Mike Sullivan, have had some really good guests on and are trying to just push that thing forward too, so check that one out as well. Absolutely excellent, mate. Massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking again soon. No, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Thank you. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Hunter for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The 
Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science resources which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. That means that you can fit them in and around your busy coaching schedule. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I'm sure you'd love to get in there completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. For every course you complete, you also get a certificate of completion, which means you can improve your ongoing education. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Sound Sport, and I'll see you next week.